All right, I think we're good to go. I think. Let me see here. I think I'm good to go. Okay, I'm going to have to walk back here. Where is I? Put all my stuff. Okay, here we go. All right. This morning, we spent two hours on Deuteronomy 8 and Matthew 4. We've spent hours on the subject before that. So today, since it's Sunday, that means we start a new week of Bible study. So technically, what we should do is be introducing Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4, but we're going to continue working on Deuteronomy 8 and Matthew 4. But for this coming week, it's Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4. For tonight, we do one more message, another hour maybe an hour, um, but hopefully at least 45 minutes on Deuteronomy 8 and Matthew chapter 4, if we can pull that off. So here's, I'm not going to, I really can't, I'm not going to go review everything that we've done because it would take forever, but just quickly, uh, when we started this seven-week series on the subject of temptation, we spent a multiple, lots of hours in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, we were able to establish Basically, a, I think a more biblical definition of temptation, which includes an enticement to evil, a trial, and a test. We uh, also understood the idea of counted all joy led to lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of philosophical problems. And in James also says God doesn't tempt, which we've realized all the problems that come from that. So we've worked through all of that. Then, and, so, and then we looked at the two progressions in James chapter 1. So we worked through all of that. Then we moved over to Deuteronomy 8 and Matthew 4. We didn't really get much to Matthew 4 throughout the week. We did all of our work in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we immediately realized some problems because Deuteronomy chapter 8 clearly has them enduring trials and difficulties, which is a temptation, and it is God doing the leading. It is God doing the control he's involved so once again we 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 still with that never-ending theological understanding of how god is involved or not as involved and it just leads to all kinds of problems but we went through all through deuteronomy chapter 8 after we looked at deuteronomy chapter 8 this is what we concluded just to simplify it that was the temptation of men and no matter how many preachers want to preach deuteronomy 8 as being a a path to victory it was not a path to victory Because the people who went through that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, no matter how much spiritual good you want to say came from what they endured, the end result was all the people, quote-unquote, tempted, tried in Deuteronomy 8, do what? They all fail. They all fail. And it doesn't take long, right? You go from Deuteronomy, now you can say, well, they seem to have a little bit of success in Joshua, but the success they appear to have is never a complete success because when you get to judges they didn't do anything they were supposed to do and then they end up where and a never-ending cycle of being brought under control and then they have to rise up a judge to deliver them and then they seem to be doing great and then they go then they fall right back into sin and it's just over and 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 the next thing they know they're like we don't want it we don't want god as our king we want a king and then they end up in captivity all right so i mean i know that's a very the Cliff Notes version, but you get the idea. So they, they fail, which really leads to all kinds of questions. But for us, the way I handled it is Deuteronomy 8, I'm going to say is the temptation of man, which ultimately they fail. 
Matthew 4 is the temptation of the Son of Man who, who had victory. So we, then I tried to demonstrate how Matthew 4 goes back and connect to Deuteronomy 8 and then tried to demonstrate how all of that is provided. Don't have time to flesh it all out. So here's what we're going to do tonight, all right? What we're going to do tonight is we need to have Deuteronomy 8 open and Matthew 4 open. And we're going to try to see how the two passages correlate, how they connect, and all of the connections between the two, all right? And I'm going to be utilizing one of the listeners sent this entire chart. They, uh, I have it open here. They, I mean, they went, they, they created an entire chart. And so they, uh, they put in the work on this. So we're going to be utilizing this a little bit um, just to, to try to draw out this correlation, to try to draw, draw out all the similarities between the two. This morning, I tried to demonstrate how what Jesus really accomplishes in Matthew 4 provides spiritually what God was providing them physically, right? And so we looked at that. Remember, we talked about the raiment. We talked about the bread. We talked about their feet not swelling, right? Everybody remember that? Okay, so, so we, we're going we're to kind of go through all of this. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, if we start in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we can at least draw some correlation with this. This is not directly in Deuteronomy chapter 8, but we can draw this from the history going back from Exodus to here, right? So the first thing we want to do, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is a generation that came out of where? Egypt. Now, some of these individuals, to be fair, were born in the wilderness. So some of these individuals never actually came out of Egypt. So this, this, this correlation may not work perfectly, right? Some of them, these obviously did. They would have came out of Egypt as children, right? Or, or, young, or young adults. While the, because the, the older generation is all dying and dying and dying and dying. And they don't get to go in. So what, the whole situation there. But so some of these it would not directly apply to, just so that we understand that. Some of these it would not directly apply to. But there's a, a, a similarity here. When they come out of Egypt, right? When Israel comes out of Egypt, sometimes there's language used to speak of them coming out and the crossing of the Red Sea that connects it with baptism, right? Can, let's see if we can find those verses that draw a correlation between them coming out of Egypt with baptism. See if you can find those correlations. Okay, you know it's in there, you just don't know where. Looking up the word baptism may be a help. Or baptized may be a help. Put it this way, you know, uh, you know it's located where? Okay. You know it's located in the New Testament, right? I can tell you it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know, I can tell you it's not in Acts, all right? I can tell you it's not in Revelation, and I can tell you it's not in First and Second Peter. And I can tell you it's not in First and Second and Third John. Okay, all right. So I'm, I'm, a little, I, I'm, I'm, and I can tell you it's not in Jude. Okay. <laughs> all right, we got a First Corinthians reference. Okay, what, what, what is the reference used in First Corinthians? First Corinthians ten. All right. 
Now, if you look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Everybody there? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. We realize, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, when he's referring to our fathers, who is he referring to? He's referring to Israel. Everybody understand that? Okay. And what does it say? And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All right. So now clearly, once again, we know that this is not referencing water baptism because they didn't actually get wet. So it's referring to their being unified with Moses, united with Moses. They're in Moses, connected to Moses, but it references baptism. So in a sense, them coming out of Egypt, they come out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And this is, is connected with which subject? Baptism. It's at least connected with it, right? So in Deuteronomy 8, at least some of those people that's being addressed, right, or would be these people. Yes? Agreed? Some of them wouldn't, though. Just to be fair, some of them wouldn't, right? So we don't want to press this too far. We just want a little bit of similarity. Now go to Matthew chapter 4. Right? Matthew chapter 4, what happens right before this in Matthew chapter 4? What happens right before Matthew chapter 4? You can go backwards. Jesus is baptized. Do you see it? All right. So, Matthew, so just, just note the correlation. In Deuteronomy, you have people who have been, at least they experienced something that is likened unto baptism in 1 Corinthians where? 10 verses 1 through 2. All right, so you may want to write that down. Israel is connected with baptism in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2. Everybody got that? All right, those are the people being spoken of, at least some of them in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, we have Jesus. Jesus here has just been baptized. Where is it recorded that he was just baptized? Matthew 3.16. Everybody see that? Jesus went into the water, right? Mark 1.10, if you want to look at it. Jesus came up out of the water, Mark 1.10. Luke 3.20, when the others were baptized, Jesus uh, was, was baptized too. But in the case, he is being baptized, right? Now, so in a sense, Israel is, in a sense, delivered out of Egypt, and part of that experience is going through water. Jesus goes into the water, comes up out of the water. Now, where do they go uh, after the water? Well, where do Israel go uh, after they go through their supposed baptism? Where do they end up? Into the wilderness. Right? Go to Matthew chapter 4. Where does Jesus end up? In the wilderness. Now, you, once again, you have you, you got to say there's similarities happening here, right? You got to have some you have similarities. I am not make this very clear. I am not saying that how this would have been understood originally in Deuteronomy, but there is no question because Jesus. What's the first thing he quotes in Matthew four? He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. So clearly, Jesus references it. Now, if he references it, we start seeing some similarities. So similarity number one is, in a sense, a baptism precedes these events. Can we agree? Uh, Similarity number two is wilderness. 
We could say there's a similarity number three. What's the similarity number three? Go back to Deuteronomy 8 and look at Matthew 4 and see if there's another similarity. I don't, I'm not necessarily saying we're putting these in perfect chronological order, but look at Deuteronomy 8 and Matthew 4 and see if you see another similarity. Oh, the, there's, there's something way before that. Because Jesus wouldn't be tested. Okay. No, I'm, I'm just saying, what are the similarities? No, no, before that. We haven't, we haven't said that yet. I said that they were in the wilderness. Say anything about how they got there, right? Okay. All right. So, all right. There, there's a leading. They're both led. In Deuteronomy 8, does it say they're being led? God leads them in Deuteronomy 8. So so let's go through these again to make sure we haven't missed this. The first similarity, Israel was delivered out of Egypt, and it's associated with baptism. Right? Agreed? Jesus, before this happens, there is a baptism. So baptism precedes everything that takes place, right? Now, if we're going to put these in order, second, they are both led. Right? Israel's being led. Where in Deuteronomy 8, where does it say they, they were led? God led thee. Everybody see it in Deuteronomy 8 too? All right. Matthew 4, where does it say that Jesus was led by the Spirit? Verse 1, they're both led. Baptism, led. Third, they're both led where? We, we, we already mentioned the where. They end up where? In the wilderness, right? They end up in the wilderness. So that's three similarities so far, right? Three similarities, okay? Next, Deuteronomy 8, Matthew 4. What's the next uh, similarity? Okay. And Deuteronomy 8, they don't use the word tempting, but what does it say? Okay, Deuteronomy uses which word? Okay, well, we know they, they're humble. That's what happens to them. But we gotta, we gotta, that, that's not going to be a similarity with Matthew 4 because it's not going to say Jesus is being humbled, is it? Okay, right? To prove, okay, we're going to draw the correlation between prove and tempt. Or as they say, what's another? Is, does, right, well, I'm, I'm just going to make sure we have all, all the translations because the NIV says test. King James, does it only use prove or does it use test at any point? Just prove? Okay. All right. So the proving and the testing, we can connect it to temptation because James 1, when we looked up the word temptation, and even if we look up the Hebrew word here, it's going to have tempt connected with it. Remember that this morning? All right. So here we go. So let's go through the similarities. Everybody ready? Baptism first, right? Leading second. Wilderness third. And then fourth, we're going to put test, or we'll put test slash temptation. Test slash temptation. Now, now, what's the point of the testing? What's the point of the, uh, what's the point of the testing? What's the point of the tip, tempting in Deuteronomy 8? Right? He's going he's gonna to show them what is inside their hearts, right? Is that what it says? Yeah. 
Right? But, he's, but the, por- the purpose of the testing or the proving in Deut- Deuteronomy is to reveal something, yes? Right, to reveal something, okay? And what is it going to reveal? Their, their sinful hearts, right? It's going to reveal their sinful hearts. There's no way to get around. It's going to reveal their sinful hearts. So the, the, te- the testing and the proving in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8 reveals something, right? Which verse says it's going to reveal what's in their hearts? Deuteronomy 8, 2. Everybody see that? All right. Now, Matthew 4 does not state it, but what does the temptation of Jesus reveal? He's tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. What verse says that? Find it. Find it. We're going to... And, and I'm, not, I'm not able to read all of the verses because of time, so I'm trying to just... Well, you, you see who can find it first? Who can find it first? Hebrews 4.15 says, All right, so we have a high priest who's touched with all of our infirmities, with everything that we deal, but he was without sin. So, here we go. Let's look at, let's try to draw the correlation. Everybody ready? Everybody with me? All right, here we go. First, the first connection, the first correlation is number one, baptism, right? Deuteronomy 8, or it's not Deuteronomy 8, because it's not there, but um, in Exodus, them coming up, well, first we'll go with 1 Corinthians 10, right? That, that'll be the passage we'll use. 1 Corinthians 10 says when Israel came up out of Egypt, when they crossed the Red Sea, it was likened unto baptism. All right, so we got that. That's 1 Corinthians 10. And Matthew 3, Matthew 3, what verse? 16, Jesus is baptized. Everybody agree? First correlation, baptism. Second, they're both led. Deuteronomy 8 says they were led in what verse? Verse 2, everybody see it? Right. Matthew 4 says Jesus was led by the Spirit in verse 1. Everybody see the baptism in the leading? Third, they are led where? Into the wilderness. Where does it say in Deuteronomy 8 they end up in the wilderness? Verse 2, 8, 2. Where does it say Jesus ends up in the wilderness? Matthew 4, 1. In both cases, there is a trying slash temptation. Where is that found in Deuteronomy 8? Verse 2, where is it found in Matthew 4? Verse 1. I mean, look, how many, look how many connections, and we're, we're barely into the text, right? Next, the temptation and trials revealed something. What did they reveal in Deuteronomy 8? What was in their heart? What did it reveal in Matthew 4? What was in his heart, right? A sinless heart, that he was perfect. So both of them have the same purpose, right? And that, and that aspect of it. Now, some of the aspects wouldn't work, but these aspects would work. So far, so good? All right? Are, are we, are, are, do we feel we got that part down? All right, now go back to Deuteronomy 8. All right. Um, now, they, they have... Uh, Okay, they, and, and their chart, they, they have a section here, but I'm just, I'm going to, for, for our time's sake, I'm skipping some of what they have in their chart because they do some things here that would be very, I'd have to really try to work on it. And so 
I'm not going to work on it right now. But we got the wilderness, okay? Now, here's the next. How long were they in the wilderness in Deuteronomy 8? 40 years. What text? Deuteronomy 8.2. Go to Matthew chapter 4. How long is Jesus in the wilderness? 40 days and 40 nights. What verse? All right. I'm not saying that's a perfect correlation, but you've got to find it interesting that both are 40, right? You've got to find that somewhat interesting, right? Okay, obviously Jesus could have hung out there for 40 years, but obviously that, that's not the way it was supposed to work, right? But there, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's close enough that it makes you at least go, wow, that's kind of interesting, right? They're both, and because they both are in the wilderness, they both get there in a sense by baptism, they're both being led there, and then there's a 40 associated with both. I mean, come on, the correlation here is pretty interesting, right? Go back to Deuteronomy 8. All right, uh, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, now the, now the only part where we would have maybe a little bit of difference, a little bit of difference here, right, a little bit of difference is there's a specific purpose for them that would not be there for Jesus. And we've kind of already identified, though, we'll just say that the purpose here is ultimately to, it's to humble them, right, to teach them. We went through all of that this morning. Some of that's not going to be directly connected, but let me at least try to offer one. In Deuteronomy 8, this is happening to humble them. Yes? All of these things happen to humble them. Correct? Now, Jesus is not being humbled, but his temptation reveals his humility. Right? Which passage would would verify or prove that? Yeah. It won't be found in Matthew 4 and will not be found in Deuteronomy 8. It's going to be found somewhere else. Oh, okay, where's that at? Philippians 2. Okay, everybody look for Philippians 2 and look for it, find it. Philippians 2. Made himself of no reputation, humbled himself. Oh, it doesn't say humbled. Oh, Philippians 2 doesn't say he humbled himself. Okay. Okay, what verse? All right, Philippians 2 8. Everybody see it. I want to make sure everybody sees it. We're on the same page. All right, everybody see it now? All right, so Jesus humbled himself, right? Yes? And where, do you, where would you see the humility uh, in this being humbled? Well, if he's the eternal God and now he's walking around in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he is hungry, I think that demonstrates humility, right? Because he is what? God incarnate. So he's humbled himself because he's taken on the form of a servant and he has a body that can do what? Get hungry, get tired, and obviously suffer and die, right? But at the same time, he still is God. So this shows his humility. So in a roundabout way, the humbling, there is a connection. They're being humbled. Jesus demonstrates his humility by, with, by going through the temptation at all. The fact that he would even submit himself to this is humility. Does that make sense? There, there's a humbling connection in both. Everybody see how it's a little different? All right, so let's go through this again. 
Let's go through this again. What's the first connection? Baptism. Everybody see that connection? 1 Corinthians 10 gets the connection for Israel. Yes? Matthew chapter 3, I think verse 16 gives us... Second, they were both led. Deuteronomy 8, 2 has Israel being led. Matthew 4, 1 has Jesus being led. They were both led to the... Deuteronomy 8, 2. Matthew 4, 1. All right, next. Both tempted and tested, right? Tempted, test, proved, whatever word you want to use. Right? What was tested, what was proven, what was tested, what was demonstrated, what was shown in Israel's temptation? Their, their sin, right? Their failure, right? I, I want to just make sure that's revealed because they all fail. I want to make sure this generation fails just like the previous generation. Right? Everybody understand that? Right? I, I, I just have to emphasize that because some sermons preach Deuteronomy 8 like this is the three steps to spiritual victory. It's not. They fail, all right? Jesus, what was revealed? That he was without sin. Tempted in all points, yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4, 4.15, all right? So we got that. Then next, humility for both, right? One is being humbled. The other demonstrated his humility. Oh, we had the 40. Yeah, we had the 40. Yeah, we had the 40, all right? One was 40 years, which is Deuteronomy 8, 2. And in Matthew 4, one, there's the 40, all right? Then we have the humbled, right? Okay, Deuteronomy 8, what? It talks about them being humbled. Two. And then, we're, and then we would go to Philip. Okay, what happened? What happened? Wait, why are we laughing? What happened? Okay, 8, 2, and 3, all right. Okay, and then Philippians 2, 8, all right? Everybody got that? All right, have we missed anything there? We got it all. all. right, do we need to review it one more time? Are we sure? Okay, you're laughing. What are we laughing about? Did I say something incorrectly? Okay, all right. I think I'm saying it all correctly, all right? Okay, so we got all of that. Yes? Okay, ne- so what's next in the passage if we were to find the next one? Oh, hey, I, I, don't, I, don't, think we should, I don't think we should pass it up, should we? All right? Okay, does, does Matthew 4 say Jesus was hungry? Oh, okay, so Deuteronomy, okay, so we're going to put that, they both hungered, all right, this is good, good job, Bobby, good. all right, we both hungered, all right, where's the Deuteronomy 8 say that they were hungry? 8, 3, all right, Matthew 4, does 4, 2 say he was hungry? All right, there we go, they're both hungered. I mean, come on, this cannot be a coincidence, ladies, does everybody understand this? Because the reason, the reason I'm going so far into doing this tonight is if you go back and listen to the sermon from this morning, when I try to draw that spiritual imagery, somebody may accuse me of just wild-eyed typology. What I'm trying to do is demonstrate you can't have this many correlations and just go, ah, well, you know, nah. No, this is one of those things that screams at you as a good Bible student to go, this is crazy. This is crazy. I mean, how many, how many correlations do we have now, total? We have eight. Eight. That's crazy. Like, like any, any good Bible student would be like, I think I'm on to something. I'm on to something here, right? I'm on to something, right? Something's going on here. 
okay? So, so the last one is they're both hungry. All right, we got it? Okay. Next. Do we see, an, do we see another one? Okay. All right, I, I'm going to say, I, okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to call the next connection is that Deuteronomy 8 is quoted in Matthew 4. I mean, that's the most obvious connection, right? Jesus literally, we won't talk about the, how to connect the quote, but right now we'll just say, clearly that's a connection. I mean, that's what we always say, right? If you're, if you're in the New Testament trying to prove that Jesus, his, uh, his death on the cross is a picture of the Passover, right? It's a type of the Passover. The reason we do that is because Jesus has called our Passover. In other words, it's actually referenced. Jesus actually references Deuteronomy 8 in Matthew 4, 4. He literally quotes it. So Jesus then is, he's telling you that, hey, go look at Deuteronomy 8. So there, I mean, clearly now that, that, that puts the, that like welds the connection together because it's literally quoted, right? Everybody see that? Okay, so that's the next. So how many now do we have, like nine? We have nine connections? All right. What's the next connection, you think? Do, do, do you see? I'm giving you some chances to, to point some out. Do what? The foot? Oh, what are you connecting it from uh, Matthew 4 from? Oh, that's interesting. I, didn't know, I haven't even got that far yet. That's good. Okay, that, okay. Okay, no, no, that, that could be good. What were you going to say? Okay, well, okay, well, let's, let's stay right here. Let's stay right here. Okay, in Deuteronomy 8, right, they're, they're hungry, are they not? Okay, God feeds them manna, which is, we'll call that spiritual food, right, because it's from heaven, right? Okay, but what is the, he does that to teach them what in Deuteronomy 8? No, it, it's, it's in the text. Deuteronomy, I think it's verse 3. That man does not live by bread alone, but everywhere that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Everybody see that? He says, I, humble, I, I made you hungry, right? And I provided you manna. That's Deuteronomy 8, 3. Is it 3 or 4? 3? The exact quote? Well, no, I'm, I'm asking for the direct quote. Yeah, remember 8 3, 8, yeah, 8 3 gives him how he humbled them, right? He, yeah, he, by number one, by making them hungry, and then by feeding them, feeding them manna. But he fed them manna in order to demonstrate what to them? The end of that verse. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded of the mouth of God. Now, from a, from a physical standpoint, that would seem a little confusing, right? Like, wait a minute, he gave them bread. Obviously, you live by bread alone. But what is he demonstrating to them? No, what you live by is what God speaks. God says, let there be manna. God brings manna. God declares there's manna. Then that's what's keeping you alive. So what should your focus be? On that which comes from God, not on what you can produce yourself. Jesus is in a similar situation. He's hungry, yes. He's hungry. What does he want? Obviously physical food. He does not produce the physical food because what is he waiting for? 
He's relying on the word of his father. In other words, he's going to be hungry until the father declares it's time not to be hungry. So there's a correlation here between what? The word of God. The man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's, that's another connection between the two. Both of them are saying the same thing. Israel, you're hungry. God gave you manna. You don't stop looking for physical food. Listen to the word of God. Rely on God. Stop relying on yourself. Jesus tells Satan, no, 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 no. I'm not going to make physical food because I'm going to wait for God's word. Everybody see that? Like none of that is about Bible study. That is about them relying on God's word in these situations. All right. Everybody see that correlation? All right. So far, so good. Let's do a quick review. All right, let's do a quick review. All right, here we go. Correlation number one, baptism. 1 Corinthians 10, Matthew 3, 16. Second correlation, lead. Deuteronomy 8, 2, Matthew 4, 1. Okay, third correlation, wilderness. Deuteronomy 8, 2, Matthew 4, 1. Next correlation, Right? Testing and tempting, Deuteronomy 8, 2, Matthew 4, 1. Next correlation. Okay, reveal what was in the heart, right? And Deuteronomy 8, 2, Matthew, it's not Matthew, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 15, because it reveals what in Jesus? That he's without sin, right? He's sinless, all right? Next, 40 days, 40, uh, 40 years, 40 days and 40 nights. 40 years is mentioned in Deuteronomy 8, 2. And 40 days and 40 nights is mentioned in Matthew 4, 2. All right, so far so good. All right, next, humility. They're being humbled, Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. Jesus demonstrates his humility, Philippians 2, 8. Got that? Next, hunger, uh, Deuteronomy 8, 3, Matthew 4, Two. Next. Okay, it's quote. Deuteronomy 8, 3. Matthew 4, 4. Right? Is it 4, 4? All right. Next. Okay, that they are, they are learning to, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Right? From, from, from the word of God. That's Deuteronomy 8, 3. Matthew 4, 4. Right? That's a total of how many connections? Ten connections. Whoa, that's, that, isn't that crazy? All right. All right. Uh, next, do we see another connection? Well, for at least that section of Deuteronomy and Matthew, I think we've eliminated all the connections. Now, we could go into, right, we could go into this next part of Deuteronomy where we talk about the raiment, right, and the uh, feet not swelling. We could try to draw some correlations, possibly back to Matthew 4. We could. Now, we could do this. I think, I think this is interesting. In Deuteronomy, they fell the temptation. There's no, there's no question about it. I don't care how many preachers want to say otherwise. You get to We already proved it this morning. We had three verses in Judges. They, they, they don't obey anything. They completely mess everything up, all right? So they fail. Clearly, we know Jesus doesn't fail the temptation, right? 
Oh, I hope that everyone should say amen to that, okay? Right? Jesus doesn't fail the temptation. Now, because Jesus doesn't fail the temptation, what does he provide for the people who do? Well, we, let's, let's add now, let's add cross-references to prove these out. You ready? Okay, so, so we see the correlation, right? We've got all the correlations listed here, right? I want to make sure I state this again. In Deuteronomy, they fail. Everyone got that. They do not pass. In Matthew, Jesus does. Because Jesus successfully, successfully does not sin, he is without sin, he provides spiritually what God provided physically for them in Deuteronomy 8. All right? And what was provided for them in Deuteronomy 8 was what things? Go back to Deuteronomy 8 and find all the things that they are provided. The first one is found in verse... Three, which is manna, okay? Manna or bread, okay? Now, where is Jesus described as bread of life, as the manna that is given to us by the Father? Where is that described? All right, let's find it. Uh, John 6, that's what they're saying. That's what I haven't said anything yet, but yeah, that's what they're claiming. I'm not saying if it's right or wrong yet. Okay. Oh, you guys are claiming. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, y'all find it. Let's find this verse in John that says it. All right, John 6.35, what is said? I am the bread of life. And what does he say about this being the bread of life? Okay, we'll never, we'll never hunger, we'll never thirst. And it's connected in the correlation. Does he, is he talking about manna in this passage? Okay, where's the manna mentioned in uh, John 6? He gave them bread, but what does it say about them after they got that bread? Did it just say they got bread and everything was great and wonderful and they never needed anything else again? And they died. Okay, everybody got that? Everybody see that? Is, is, oh, you didn't find it. Okay. Okay. All right. So it doesn't say they died. All right, that's fine. Okay. Okay, well, y'all, y'all saying it does say it, all right? I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Okay, well, then we won't use it. Okay, we won't use the, the died part, but we will use this. He gave them manna, but the true manna is Jesus. If you eat the true manna, what happens? You're never hungry. Now, that obviously is not physical hunger and physical thirst, Right? Okay, what does it mean? By partaking of Jesus as manna, he is our salvation. There will never hunger or thirst again because he provides everything that's necessary for salvation. What is necessary for salvation? Forgiveness of sins. Boom, he paid for all the sins. What else? Righteousness. He gives us righteousness. What else? Obedience. So all of it is given to us by Jesus. He is the manna. So the manna that was given to them only fed them, did not 
save them, did not make them spiritually victorious. And whether the text says they died or not, let me just give you a clue. They died, okay, all right, all right. They died, all right? Does that got that? Does everybody understand that? Okay, so, but Jesus, because he fulfills the temptation, he then is the very bread that that was pointing to. So far, so good? Everybody got that? All right, what's the next thing? God provided them physically, historically. Oh, wait. Verse 58, John 6, 58, what does it say? They ate it and died. There you go. And, right, okay. And, and we could even add another connection if we want, but we won't. Because the, the interesting connection, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and Jesus is the word, right? And Jesus is the bread, okay? So we can even drive, drive another connection, but that's okay. What I want you to see, they fell in the temptation. I know I, I, I hate the fact that, uh, well, at least I don't feel like anyone here is arguing with me, but I'm sure someone online is going to be like, they did not fail in Deuteronomy 8. They did. Someone's going to yell and tell me that they passed MacArthur's lordship test in Deuteronomy 8. They didn't pass anything. They failed, okay? I, I, that's, that's a non-negotiable in my book, okay? Anybody who preaches Deuteronomy 8 is the key to spiritual success. You need to look at them like they're out of their ever-living mind. Okay, because they failed, okay, all right? But Jesus didn't. That's good news. And Jesus is the bread of life. And if we partake of him, what do we have? Eternal salvation will never hunger and thirst again, meaning we'll never need anything for our salvation. I want you to stress that. We will never need anything for our salvation. Meaning, what do you not need for your salvation? Your actions, your obedience. Because I have perfect obedience. Oh, I know people are going to lose their mind going, antinomian! No, you can, create, you can accuse me of being antinomian, but my, if my obedience is required for my salvation, then he is not the bread that I will never hunger and thirst again. Because if my obedience is required, then guess what? I'm going to be hungering and thirsting a lot because I'm never going to be obedient enough. All right? So there, I'm just, oh, it's so confusing. All right, but there we go. We got it? All right, now, what's the next thing he provides for him in Deuteronomy 8? Raiment. All right. Now we need a passage in the New Testament. How we are clothed with, or maybe not even in the New Testament. Could be in the Old Testament. That Jesus is our righteousness or we are clothed with righteousness. Something about being clothed with righteousness. Now this one gets convoluted because in, uh, in Revelation we have a passage about being clothed with our own righteousness which creates all kinds of problems. Okay, but and remember we looked at that when we were talking about uh, being judged according to our works in Romans 2, but I won't go back through that long history of that. We, we spent six months on it, but we just need a verse that talks about us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We just need the word clothed and righteousness together. I know, some, I know Catholics would use Revelation to argue against this concept, but that's okay. Lordship would probably use it again. But. Do we have anything? Oh, someone went to Isaiah. That's interesting. Okay, Isaiah 61 to end. What does it say? 
right? 6110. Everybody there? 6110. Now we can understand how this fits in perfectly with, uh, you know, it would, it would be great if 61.10 was quoted in the New Testament. It really would make our lives easier. But Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. See that? Isaiah 61.10. Now, we may not have that direct language in the New Testament. I don't know if you can think of one in the New Testament that covers it that well. But we do know that, we, uh, that his righteousness is imputed to us by faith. We do know that, all right? And I'm going to look at something here. If I can spell right. Um, let's see here. Yeah, don't, don't, don't like that one. A lot of these are in Isaiah. And, uh, yeah, well, we could go to Zechariah, but we won't go there. Um, yeah, that's Isaiah is the main one everyone goes to. So uh, we, it would be perfect if Isaiah was quoted in the New Testament. Man, it, it would just make our lives so much easier, but it's not. But the concept is, so what we're going to say is that as they were clothed with raiment, and what does it say about their clothing in uh, Deuteronomy 8? It never got old, it never wore out. Well, when we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, guess what? It never wears out, it never gets old, Right? So I know that there's not a perfect correlation in scripture, but there's no, I mean, I, we, we can say this. Well, where would you look for uh, that we are saved by an imputed righteousness? Find me a verse about imputed righteousness in the New Testament. That'll make it easier. Because at least we can prove the concept, even if we can't find the, the poetic language. What scriptures would you use to prove that we're saved by imputed righteousness? Where would you go if you had to prove this? You're talking to a lost person and they want to know about it. Imputed righteousness, imputed righteousness. Okay, that's a pretty good one. Right? What is it? First Corinthians what? Second Corinthians 5.21, right? For him who made no sin becomes sin, so we might become the righteousness of God in him. All right, that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. All right. What else? Where else would you go? Romans 3.25, which says? All right, well, okay, that's propitiation. That's not imputation. Right, propitiation is satisfying God's wrath. That's not get, making, making us righteous. Okay, where else would you go? Where else would you go? How about Romans 4, 5? Remember we covered this? I think it's Romans 4, 5. 
It's Romans 4 somewhere. Okay, what does it say? There you go. His faith is counted as righteousness. That's obviously an imputed righteousness, right? Okay, there you go. All right. We can look up other verses, but the point is we are, we are declared, God, in a sense, provides us a robe of righteousness by an imputed righteousness. It's accredited to, to our account. Is it our righteousness? No, it's an imputed righteousness. It's given to us. It's declared to be us. All right. We are declared to be righteous, even though we are not. Okay. All right. Then, um, well, we'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. Okay, so, I'm sorry, do you have something? Yeah, that's in Romans. Yeah, that's, do you have the reference? Okay, yeah, that's fine. We don't, we don't look it up for now, but, uh, but we, people can, people can ex- work on this a little bit further and, and clean this up a little bit. The go- job with the Bible study exercise is just to present all of this so that everybody can flesh this out on their own. All right, 519. All right, okay, Romans 519 says what? Everybody can look at it if you need it. Okay, what? Yeah, by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. We're being made righteous by what? His obedience, right? Okay, which is declared unto us. Okay, so are given unto us, imputed unto us, accounted unto us, however the correct terminology is. All right, so we've looked at all the connections. We have a minimum of 10 connections. Everybody got that? Everybody remember all 10? Right, you got them down? I don't need to repeat them. You got to memorize if I told you to put your notes down? Okay, We we got the 10 connections. Then, what do we see? Listen, in Deuteronomy, they fail the temptation. Everybody got that? I'm going to be dogmatic about that. They fell the temptation in Deuteronomy 8. In Matthew 4, Jesus does not fail the temptation. He, he remains holy because he is God. He does not sin. However, because of what Jesus do, uh, accomplishes in these temptations, by not sinning, he then is able to provide what God provided them physically. He provided for them physically. What three things did he provide for them physically? Number one, manna, right? Jesus is that manna that comes down from heaven. He is the bread of life. By partaking of him, we will never hunger and thirst again, meaning we will have eternal salvation. And and Deuteronomy 8, what did he provide for them? Raiment. Jesus provides us the clothing of righteousness by an imputed righteousness by faith. What's the third thing that is provided for them in Deuteronomy? Just We will just mention it. Their feet will not swell, right? Which is very important for them doing what? Walking, walking. Now, how what does Jesus provides for us? Well, we walk in him, right? In other words, there are two walks for the Christian, right? We talk about this all the time. There's the positional walk and there's the, pos- uh, there's the practical walk. The positional walk, our feet don't swell, we don't trip, nothing happens, right? Nothing, right? Because we are in Christ. Our, our, what, how good is my spiritual walk in Christ? Perfect, everyone can back off. How good is my spiritual walk in practice? Let's not talk about it, right? Okay, we fall, we stumble, our feet swell. So again, what we do, what we cannot do, which is ever have a perfect walk, Christ has a perfect walk, and that perfect walk is, is, is done what? It is imputed to us. So once again, what he provided for them physically, 
He provides for us spiritually. There's no other way. I mean, obviously, we know that those things are not being provided for us today physically. We know everyone can understand that, right? Yeah, everybody understands that? Okay, bread from heaven is not falling down, or there wouldn't be 5,000-something people starve to death every day in the world. Okay, that would not be happening, all right? So um, we go through all the different things that, that we can clearly see that there's a connection between these two, right? There's a connection between these two. Everybody see that connect? There's no way to get around it, right? I mean, it is, I don't think you can find two passages that are more connected together, can you? I mean, that's, that's a lot of connections. Now, just, I will mention this in passing. We can keep, we can do a little bit more work on that. Maybe. We may do a little bit more work on this this week. I've handed that to everyone. Now, everyone can, can do what they can with it. But this coming week, starting today, the curriculum gives us this. Right, Deuteronomy 6, 16 through 25. Deuteronomy 6, 16 through 25. And Matthew 4, 5 through 7. Deuteronomy 6, 16 through 25. And Matthew 4, 5 through 7. Now, will they be just as connected? I don't know. I, I have a feeling that they connect Deuteronomy 6 to Matthew 4, 5 through 7 because in Matthew 4 through 5 through 7, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Is, I, I have a pretty, I think, does everyone feel that's a safe bet? I think that's a pretty safe bet. So immediately there's going to be another connect. There's going to be at least one connection without looking anywhere else. But start working on those passages and we'll work on them Wednesday night and uh, probably next Sunday. All right, any questions? I mean, we had to go, we had to fly through that. We had to fly through that. That was a lot. That was a lot. All right? We good? All right? Are you sure? You keep laughing, so I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Okay, all right. Okay, I'm doing something wrong, okay? So we, we walk slowly through that. Is that better? Is that, is that not? Is that, okay? So we, I think we went through that relatively quick, but the only way to go, I mean, if we take that slower, we're going to turn it into a series. I just want you to see that. I just want to prove the connection so that the typology that I provided is not seen as a typology not based off the text. I wanted to prove that the text is so linked together that you have to then see that there's something going on here. There's something going on. And, it's, and, do, and I think the key is to understanding Deuteronomy 8, they fail. And because they fail, who's falling? Israel fails. Matthew 1 says Jesus came to do what? To save his people from their sins. When it says his people, what people? Well, it's obviously referring to Israel first and foremost, right? Okay, because all Israel will be saved, right? Well, how is he going to save them? Well, through his finished work, right? Okay, so he finishes the work. So then immediately that finished work starts in Matthew 4 because he doesn't sin. Because he doesn't sin, then what can God provide for us? Righteousness and obedience. So where does our righteousness come from? Not from us, from him. And it's not a practical righteousness. It's a imputed righteousness. And the obedience is not a practical obedience. It's an imputed obedience. So in Christ, I am without sin, perfect, holy, righteous. 
and practice, we are not. There we go. We'll have to stop there. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Thank you for uh, this very important passage of Scripture. I pray that we would give it serious thought and walk away more grateful for what Jesus does in Matthew 4 on our behalf. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,